0: Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And let's face it, our health and our health care really is all of our business. And this is one of the uh, areas that are so dynamic and, and impact so many aspects of our life and undergoing vast changes, some good, frankly, most terrifying to me. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I have had uh, – Dr. David Wilcox is a long-term regular uh, guest on the program. I love having him on. He's a personal favorite. He's someone the audience loves because we get questions and comments about things he has said uh, on the show. And uh, anyone just listen, you'll see why. There's a lot of people who like to position themselves as advocates of patients, and that's wonderful. And, And, well, they should be. Uh, But I I find that people who have been really directly touched uh, show that and demonstrate that and and really almost have a calling about that that others simply don't have. And he has a calling when it comes to advocating for patients. David, always glad to have you on the the program. You bring your unique perspective as a doctor-prepared nurse. And uh, uh, frankly, no one is more tactical in the relationship with patients than nurses, And so uh, I love the varied uh, perspectives you bring. Real quickly, people love your story. They talk about it. Uh, Tell us real quickly your story that really led you to becoming the advocate for uh, patients that you are. And as always, welcome to the program. And also give us the one best website you want people to go to get more information.
1: Sure. So thank you for having me, Kevin. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Um, So my story is that when I was very young, I was a bad teenager, and I had a child early on in life. And um, as a teenager, uh, late teens, I was bringing this multi-handicapped child to doctor's appointments and accessing the American healthcare system, which I found to be very cumbersome. Even though I met lots of clinicians who were who were really uh, really compassionate and caring in the healthcare system. The system was not set up to let them do their job. And as we progress, many years later, I have now have 30 years of healthcare experience. It's even worse. So um, I was in manufacturing at the time, got laid off, and I thought, you know, I would really like to make an impact in healthcare, and I decided to become a nurse. So I went to school and became an LPN and then worked my way up through various degrees and various positions in hospitals as a bedside nurse, as a nurse administrator over a hospital, I'm into healthcare IT um, over the years, and now a doctor prepared nurse. And I've got a, a book out called How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, which is basically your education manual to proactively prepare you for what you're going to find when you step in the doors of an emergency department or of your. Um, If your prescription drug prices rise, how do you get them lowered? Or if you have to deal with the insurance company, which I'm sure many of you uh, on this show have had to do, or many people listening to the show have had to do. So um, that's my story in a nutshell, and that's why I do what I do. I still think about that young teenage guy dragging his daughter around from appointment to appointment, sitting at her bedside, at one point being told that she may not make it. Um, and that drives me, that gets me out of bed every day. So the best website where you can interact with me and get things like my free healthcare resource guide is drdavidhelps.com, drdavidhelps.com. Sign up for my mailing list and you will get a free healthcare resource guide with one click access to many of the things that we talk about on this show.
0: Yes, I love it. All right, uh, yeah. People, people need to do that, and uh, it's amazing the kind of information that you have there. I call your book a healthcare owner manual uh, because every one of us needs healthcare, but we tend to have a victim ad- attitude. Your book provides tools for people to make that paradigm shift and emotional shift from victim to owner. That I think is so important, and so I strongly recommend it. And Your story really relates to our story today, Uh, you you know, the idea of uh, uh, just a rampant rise in uh, misdiagnoses of uh, people. Set the stage for us. Sure. So
1: a misdiagnosis occurs when a patient is diagnosed with a medical condition that they do not have. So a good example of that is if somebody is diagnosed with esophageal reflux disease Um, and they're in an emergency room, but yet they're having a heart attack and they get sent home uh, in those situations. So a lot of time, either people come back if they're lucky or um, they don't make it. And so the danger of misdiagnosis is that the underlying condition, such as in our example, the heart attack, is not being treated and can worsen, causing an increase in illness and possible death. So just to set the stage, as you said, Kevin, diagnosis errors are linked to about 800,000 deaths or cases of permanent disability a year, um, and that's wow. up quite a bit. Yeah, about 371,000 people actually die due to mixed diagnosis, and 424,000 sustained permanent disability, such as brain damage or blindness, loss of limbs or organs, or advanced cancer um, because it wasn't caught early when it should have been, each year as a result. You know, this, uh, we made this estimate, researchers pulled together from dozens of earlier studies to assess how often this occurs, and this is where we landed. Um, and it's not surprising that many of these misdiagnoses occur in emergency departments, right? Um, I was an uh, emergency department nurse at one point in my career, and I know it's very fast-paced, and often you have to make decisions on limited information. Um, And so if I haven't emphasized this enough during our time together, you really need to be proactively educated on the American healthcare system before you ever step foot in an emergency department. You need to learn how to advocate for yourself, and you have to understand that you are the expert of your body. Now, a medical team can look at signs and symptoms to try to figure out what's going on with you, but you know your body really well. And so... You have to be able to be proactively educated, and you have to be a part of that decision-making process.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, again, it goes back to owner and victims. And they, you know, they, We hear about the various uses, uses of the expression, uh, you know, white coat uh, syndrome, where people's um, blood pressure rise at the side of a doctor and that type of thing. But part of this is uh, it's like your brain goes numb. At the side of a doctor, and it's like I don't have any authority, I don't have any agency. He knows everything, or she knows everything. I know little, all of which leads to a, uh, terrible situations. So and meanwhile, as you've talked about so often, and we're going to dig into it in this segment, you know, you you've got doctors who are under the thumb of the insurance companies because the, the paradigm shift for for that has been volume, you know, uh, quantity rather than quality. Uh, being the number one objective, and uh, it's creating a lot of pandemonium.
1: Yeah, and what you're talking about, it actually is a symptom of our fee for service environment. So, in our healthcare environment, doctors get paid for how many people they see. This was evident during the, the COVID pandemic when people didn't go to the emergency room or didn't get surgery, elective surgery, because they didn't want to do it. And um, so what happened was hospitals started to tank, right? They couldn't support themselves. So we, the taxpayers, gave them huge bailouts so that they could support themselves and and keep them functioning because we need functioning hospitals in many cities. But um, without patients coming in, they're not making any money. The insurance companies understand this. The hospitals understand this. Um, And so without that steady flow of patients, they don't make money. And one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is that United Healthcare or Optum, a branch of United Healthcare, owns the most physicians in this country. When you think about that for a second, an insurance company owns the most physicians in this country. So how does that play out, right Kevin? What's that actually look like for you and I or the individual healthcare consumer? is that these doctors are pressed to see more and more patients so they can drive more and more revenue. So a doctor doesn't come to work and plan on misdiagnosing somebody, but they're pressured to see all these patients. And so what they want to do is eventually check the box. Hey, yes, you, ha- you have COVID or you have the flu. Or in the case that I use um, that's going to be published from this podcast is somebody who is having a stroke, goes in. And because they come in and they have plenty of symptoms, so they're at an exercise at a gym, they're lying on a mat, they're so dizzy they can't get up, their blood pressure's shooting up. And two weeks later, they have what is the hallmark of having a stroke. And this is important for you guys to learn. If anything you take away from this, remember this, if you have an episode of blurred vision, you need to call 911 and get yourself to the emergency department and tell them what's going on. And that's exactly what this person did after consulting a nurse who was an advocate who said, hey, you're having a stroke, go to the ED. When this person got into the ED, the ED doctor almost discharged them. They worked them up for cardiac. They didn't find anything, thinking they have an, their family has an extensive history of cardiac problems and was going to discharge a patient. The only thing that, that kept them from being discharged was some previous medical conditions, which I won't go into in detail, that got them admitted. Once they get admitted, they go through a series of other tests, and the hospitalist says, "Hey, we're going to discharge you with a diagnosis of syncope or being dizzy right the one caveat to this is this person's daughter was a physician assistant and had been between jobs and was sitting at the bedside with her mother during this whole situation and so when the doctor said they were going to discharge a syncope syncope, she said I am not comfortable with that. I think that you need to do an MRI. And so the doctor said, okay, an MRI is a gold standard. We'll put her in for an MRI. Fast forward, the results of the MRI is that she had a stroke in the back of her brain, which is not as common as having a stroke in the front of your brain. And the hospital has said um, to this person, I need to remember that strokes in the back of the brain present differently than strokes in the front of the brain. Now let's Talk about what would have happened if the patient advocate wasn't there.
0: This yeah, a, person uh, have, a medical yeah. professional in her own right, depending on the state, she's even prescribing meds, which most of us don't have one of those in our back pocket.
1: Right. So <laughs> what would have happened?
0: Yeah, but what would have happened
1: if she wasn't there, right? Right. So this patient goes home, and the patient... Um, Has another stroke, maybe they're not being treated for it, right? They're being treated for a syncope episode and told to follow up with an ENT doc, an ear, nose, and throat doc. So, I mean, that's totally out there when this person could have had another stroke that would have presented with maybe they would have lost some motion in their body and things like that. But you can see where I'm going, right? This this diagnosis or trying to get this patient out of that hospital bed so we can cycle in a new patient um, really needed to be averted, and thank God they had a medical professional. Like you said, not many of us have them, and that's why there's people like me out there as patient advocates trying to help people um, not be a statistic like this person almost was.
0: Yeah, no question about it. You know, and the numbers out there, David, when I see the numbers of how the average time frame that a doctor spends with a patient when they visit their doctor is incredible. Like 10 minutes is incredible. Is standard.
1: Yeah, you're lucky if you get 10 minutes, to tell you the truth. Most I, of the time I think it's like 5 to 10, depending on the
0: doctor is what I actually write. Yeah. How do you say that?
1: Yep, exactly. Um, and that's, that's important for people to understand because when you're picking out your health care team, because you do hire your health care team to take care of you, um, it's important to find people who actually listen to you. A that's very important because you are the expert of your body and B it's important to find somebody who spends time with you. I once had a doctor friend, um, when I was up and lived in Syracuse, New York, many years ago. And this guy, when somebody presented with something and he didn't quite understand what it was, this guy would think of, he would go home and he would think about this, right? And he would maybe get on the net or into some medical journals. And then when he finally Got it. He felt, you know, victorious, and that was the kind of that's the kind of doctor I want to see. You know, um, unfortunately, with the pressure to see so many patients, you don't find that a lot nowadays.
0: Yeah, and again, it's, it's that economic pressure, you know, and um, and so this is what, frankly, most of the time I work with uh, nurse practitioners versus doctors uh, when it comes to me. If there's something more needed, then I'm sent over there. Uh, but there just seems to be a natural inclination. And the cost for the of the uh, of the clinic uh, that I go to, the doctor's office I go to, uh, seems to be less. Just less pressure to push me through when I'm dealing with an NP. And uh, um, it's kind of a weird economics. You know, you want the best care, but you also want quality. You know, you want time, less want want in quality. And I think there's a linkage there that is somehow ignored. And, I, and as we talk about this, I get more and more the idea of, uh, the fact that, um, you know, this goes back to treating symptoms rather than treating patients. And with five minutes, that's about all they have time to do is to treat symptoms.
1: Yep. You get a, you read a a little note. If you see what the nurse's assessment is, you walk in and then you say, Hey, we see this and this and this. And so this is what you're being diagnosed with. Here's, we're sending a prescription over to your pharmacy. Um, if you have any questions, talk to the nurse and boom, I'm out. Right. So, um, but you make a good point. So I get seen by a nurse practitioner too, because nurse practitioners are, are taught not only the medical aspects of it, um, even though they don't have as much education as the doctors, they but they're also taught the human compassion piece of it. And rarely will you see a nurse practitioner breeze in, dump a bunch of stuff on you, and then breeze out. They're going to listen to you. They're going to they're going to connect with you. They're going to listen to what you have to say. And for me, and, and in my field, I like to be with nurse practitioners because sometimes there's a teaching moment in it, right? Um, they might say, hey, what's, I see this and this, and I'll say, well, that I can understand why you would make that diagnosis, but here's the underlying things you need to understand. And they're like, ah, okay. And it helps them, like that hospitalist in that situation we described around stroke will walk away and always think about what a stroke looks like in the back of, that, back of the brain as opposed to the front. But that was a teaching moment. But it also could have been cost that patient, the, you know, their life or some mobility um, down the road. So you know, well, well, it's important to educate. I think nurse practitioners are the bomb, as far as I'm concerned, and they really are the answer to healthcare shortage. We like, we could do a whole episode on that. Um, you know, well, why we, we need more nurse practitioners? Episode. Yeah, we yeah. should. Because,
0: you know, like here in Texas, for example, uh, which prides itself in being more independent, trying to create more freedom for people. I'm really reciting what I hear. Um, but, you know, we have bizarre laws regarding nurse practitioners. Here in Texas, they have to be under a position It's really a form of protectionism for doctors, for medical doctors, the way it's structured. And in a lot of states, as you know, they can put up a sign. You know, and a lot of states have a lot of latitude. And um, I'm telling you, when I look at rural health care in Texas, it's an existential crisis, and they need more latitude.
1: So just briefly, I'll touch on this. So um, there are many states now where nurse practitioners don't have to practice under doctors. Um, and that's pretty progressive. But Virginia is one of the first ones that, uh, that passed that law. Um, and many states are following suit with that. The reason why you still have that in Texas is the American Medical Association really wants the nurse practitioner tied to a doctor for a couple of yeah. reasons. So I know nurse practitioners in rural healthcare who are tied to a doctor who gets some form of reimbursement, but talks to them maybe once a year. I mean, they don't really need that doctor, but because of the law, they have to be attached to that doctor. So the doctor's making some money from what the the business of nurse practitioner is doing, but at the same time, really isn't adding any value to the relationship. Um, yeah. And more and more states are starting to see that uh, and, you know, it, it takes a while for that light bulb to turn on, but it, rural health care, you don't have a lot of docs that want to move out into rural areas and provide care. So there has to be a different model. Um, and, you know, unfortunately that's a very political thing with the AMA and all kinds of factors that go into that. Um, but the answer is nurse, more nurse practitioners, more physician assistants that can practice independently.
0: And I get the des- you know the desire to be, be slower in transition. I mean, I get it on one level. I think it's ridiculous. We have a lot of evidence showing the, how helpful it is to be more nurse practitioner uh, practitioner dependent. It works. It works across the board. Europe is way more embracing of that than what we are, and it's it's way more successful. Um, but at least at least give sanctions to the rural areas, right? Okay, go ahead and have some connection in the urban areas but we need people who want to move to the rural areas you can see a lot of nurses nurse practitioners go hmm i'd like to have my own medical practice it'd be kind of it'd kind of be uh, fun to do that and then they have a dis- an incentive to move to a rural area if they sanction that area as a place where they can do that you know what i'm saying
1: yeah, you want them to be part of the community. You want to see them at the store, right, shopping and say, hey, how are you, you know, that kind of stuff. That Once you have a uh, any kind of healthcare professional that's part of the community and they meet people and they know people, they're friends and neighbors, um, they're, they're going to dig a lot harder, right? You're just not a, a person showing up needing health care. All of a sudden you're a friend or you're a neighbor or you're somebody from church. Um, yeah, it makes a world of difference.
0: It really does. Okay, as you pointed out, not all of us have a doctor or a nurse uh, in their back pocket or or a physician assistant in their back pocket uh, in these situations. Kind of give us some takeaways, some marching orders. And and also I wanted you to to talk real quickly as an option as well is uh, concierge uh, medicine. Throw that in the mix as well because everyone I know who has one loves it.
1: Yeah, so concierge medicine. Um, basically, you have to be—I hate to use this term—but you have to be wealthy to be able to afford it. Because basically, you remove the insurance companies. You pay a set fee for concierge care, and then you and then you receive it. So anytime that you need something, they're right on it because you're a paid subscription, right? Um, they're right. gonna—they're able to spend more time with you because they don't have the the Optums or the United Health Cares or the Humanas of the world knocking on their door saying, see more patients. They have their own model. It works very well. So when we have models like that, that aren't being studied or being considered for our fee for service system, that tells you a lot, right? Cause the players, the insurance companies have mega dollars. Um, and so they have lots of lobbyists in Washington to prevent things like that from occurring nationwide uh, it's not in their best interest financially to do that, which is another topic we could talk about forever, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what was the other thing you wanted me to touch? Marching orders, right? So, yeah, marching, marching orders.
0: orders can kind of give us, you know, uh, in lieu of having your own professional to help you. <laughs> read your book. That's a good place to start because it's full of questions you need to be asking your doctor.
1: Yeah, read my book. But the, the important thing is to get yourself educated. Like, it's not a matter of if you're going to need health care, it's a matter of when you're going to need health care. And if you enter the American health care system uneducated, that's when you're going to be a statistic. That's when you have the potential for something bad to happen to you. Um, we talk, we've talked about like when you're getting medications in the hospital, they give you a new pill, you swallow it. You don't know what it is, right? You don't know if that nurse made a mistake. Um, you need to ask, what is this little blue pill? You know, what is this green pill for? And those, and the nurse will answer you. Um, and then dig if you still don't understand. Uh, you have the right to whatever medications you take. You can refuse to take them, too. Um, I know many, if you're going to get hurt in a hospital, it's going to be around medications. But the big point is, I'm digging into the details now, right? But the big point is, get yourself proactively educated on what you can expect when you walk into an emergency room. What you can expect um, when you're shopping for a hospital. I also talk about this person. Um, who had the stroke. They had read my book. They, find the, they found their five-star hospital. They found their five-star cardiologist, which is the best of the best. And when the ambulance came, they said, take me to this hospital um, because that's where they wanted to be treated. And their experience was really good. Um, so, you know, that kind of stuff you don't know about, and that's why you can go to Dr. David Helps, pick up that free resource guide. And I have one-click access. It'll show you how your doctor's rated. It'll show you how your local hospital or outpatient surgery is rated, even your nursing home, um, so that you can understand, you know, is this the best place to go?
0: Yes. And spell that out one more time. You spelled it out at the beginning. Dr. David yeah. Helps, Make sure you know how that doctor part looks. Yeah, it's doctordavidhelps.com.
1: DR David helps.com there's you can there's a link to the book there's um, the ability to sign up for my newsletters that come out monthly after this podcast and um, you know there's there's access to my email in case you have a unique situation you need some advice
0: always feel like we have done something to help humankind whenever you've been on and I've even gotten that sense from uh, listeners always appreciate you and from the moment we hang up, I look forward to your next time with me.
1: Me too, Kevin. Thank you very much. I really enjoy our time together. And people, get yourself proactively educated and stay safe when you enter the wild of the American healthcare care system.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. That's exactly true. I am Kevin Price. This is the nationally syndicated Price of Business. You've got away, link to PriceofBusiness.com. There will be a link to this interview there and an article. Uh, Make sure you check that out, as well as uh, David's contact information that he gave. I'm Kevin Price. Stay tuned for more after this.